Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that HR analytics dashboard helping all of you HR leaders automate your HR reporting and analytics process. That's right. We talk to all of you all the time, and you're constantly telling us that you're following the manual and tedious and time-consuming process of pulling messy spreadsheets together and trying to get a data-driven view of your workforce, but you're tired of it and you need a better way. That's why we created Employee Cycle, your very own HR analytics dashboard that has pre-built integration connectors to the most popular HR systems out there. So you can view, share, track, and analyze all your data from one place. Please go to EmployeeCycle.com. Check us out. We'll love to give you a demo on how we can make you smarter and more data-driven. But that's enough about me and our company, because today we have an awesome guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Mitha Vasquez. She's the founder of Meet the Peak. And today we're talking about how to engage and retain employees. Mitha, welcome to the podcast. Mitha, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting today. Thank you for being a guest on our podcast. We couldn't do this without you. So Mitha, we're going to kick this podcast off the way that we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Oh, well, uh, that's a great question. Like a lot of people, I just fell into it. Um, so uh, many years ago, I was, uh, my degree is in hotel and restaurant management. And I was working for an organization opening new units around the company. Now, I don't know if you know of Cracker Barrel Old Country Store, but I opened 18 um, Cracker Barrels for them. And I love Cracker Barrel pancakes. Yes, yes. I, yes. I know I know Cracker very well. Yes, so some people do. So back when I was with them, they only had maybe, I don't know, 50 stores or so. So that's where I kind of, you know, I developed my love for the recruiting process and um, talent development. And so it's not a very friendly job to raise a family. So I had to look and see what else I could do. Um, and then since I had been recruiting and training employees for many years with Cracker Barrel, I decided to get a job as a recruiter. And then the rest is history. I just took HR roles over the next 20 years. Awesome. So, Mitha, today we're talking about how to engage or retain employees. But before we go into that, I would love for the audience to learn a little bit more about what kind of HR consulting you're doing with Meet the Peak. Well, our, our primary focus is um, talent acquisition strategies, retention strategies, engagement strategies, and the talent management process, which is really about management supervisory training, um, education, and coaching. So a lot of our, it's very project-based, working with clients to improve the metrics. And I know that's what you do, but really looking at things that they're not happy with as far as employees leaving or not being fully engaged and implementing programs to help them, you know, get their um, retention rates up and make them more profitable. You know, it's so interesting to think about this concept of engagement and retention in your previous experience working in corporate, 
Do you believe companies are typically better at engagement or better at retention? And I'm curious, can you only be good at retention if you're engaging employees? Well, that, that's, you know, very interesting take on it. I, I do think you can be good at retention if you don't have an engagement program. I think it enhances it. But in working with leaders, um, and you probably know this from your business, when I work with leaders, they like tangible things they can measure. And it is hard to measure engagement. Um, you can do it through employee surveys, right? Um, and say over the course of many years, see that those statistics are improving. But it's easier to manage um, retention or the exit process or attrition. And so I think if you know managers look at that number, um, and some companies look at it all the way to the leader level. That's really interesting. And you said that it's pretty difficult to measure engagement which we also find it more difficult to even pull the metrics based off of how they're captured in many engagement systems out there. But I'm curious, why is it so difficult to measure engagement? Well, because I think really it's more about soft uh, things that I, what I talked to my clients about and when I was you know, also in corporate America, I would talk to leaders about stickiness to the organization and that is hard to measure. So um, engaged employees, um, okay, let me give you like in Gallup, for example, I think one of their top questions is, do you have a best friend at work? That is supposed to be a leading indicator of stickiness to the organization. Like if I have a best friend at work, it's harder for me to leave. But there are values inside engagement that people tend to stay and it is hard to measure values. That's my take on it. Um, And so I can understand that you have difficulty working with clients coming up with a metric around engagement. That's an interesting question. Do you have a best friend at work? And I'm curious not to go too deep into specific engagement questions, but Just around that question alone, I'm assuming there has to be research or someone said that if you have a best friend at work, you're going to stay there longer. But is that what companies should be optimizing for? Because a lot of the times the cliche that we always say, especially with us working with data with HR, is that what gets measured gets managed. And if you're measuring against things like that, does the company now need to start optimizing for helping you find a best friend at work? Well, that's that's a good question. Not necessarily. And when we go over that question with our leaders, they ask the same question you do. You know, but what? That sounds soft. You know, I need to help, you know, create a best friend at work. What they're talking about is um, indicators, leading indicators of stickiness to the organization. And there are about 10 or 12 in the Gallup research that show that if you improve those indicators, that people, the tenure of those people is longer. So there is a correlation between those leading indicators and how long people stay at the organization. Got it. So we like to be very actionable here on the podcast to make sure that our guests are leaving with some type of steps or framework when they can about how can they make their workforce better. So I would, I would like to start off with the first step of 
making your workforce more engaging and increasing retention. Is there a place to start first? Do you start with engagement first? Do you start with retention first? Do you start with a survey? Do you come up with a plan? How do you even start to think about how to increase engagement and and retention? Well, the first thing that I normally do is see what is important to the leadership. It is very hard for HR to implement programs that are not meaningful to whatever the organization is measuring. You know that. So, for example, I did have this client and it was a professional services firm, so a knowledge-based worker. And so when you turn over people at a knowledge-based company, that's devastating, right? And that the information's inside the brain of these people. So the leader really came to me and said, this, this turnover is just killing us. And mainly also from the client standpoint, because, you know, when they get connected to a client, it's difficult for um, the leadership to say, oh, that person doesn't work here anymore. So that's a first step. I think really listening to the leaders on what is important. In this scenario, they wanted to keep people longer. And so with an engagement program, you know, what I, I did first, and you're very familiar with this, is that I just did a current state analysis. What is the turnover now? So that you do that and you say, okay, this is what it is. And you show it to the leadership and you ask them, you already kind of have an idea that they're not okay with it. And so you ask them. And so in that case, it's just providing data, which is what you do today. Got it. So to translate that, it sounds like you're telling our audience that the first thing they need to do is get a baseline on where you are today and diagnose where you are today before you do anything, correct? Yes, yes. So once you do that, then you have to look inside the organization on the value system there. So in this example, I, you know, for example, let, let's just say, well, you know, you know, people would stay if we paid them more. Well, if that's not congruent with the value statement at the organization, say in a professional services firm, they can only charge the client a certain amount, then you have to know, okay, we're not going to be, you know, using compensation as part of the retention program. And there's also studies that show that the things that keeps employees, like the stickiness to the organization, are not necessarily generally compensation and benefits. While we all want to be paid better, we don't typically go looking for a job just because, you know, a company might pay me a few dollars more. There's underlying reasons. So once you look at the uh, value statement, then you can design some programs that align with that. What are some of the programs that you typically help your clients develop to increase both engagement and retention? All right. So most of the programs that we discuss with our clients are based off their values, have to do with things that do our leading indicators to create that stickiness. So some of those things will be like uh, affinity groups, like so, for example, um, whether it's uh, LGBTQ or people of color or working women, people want to know that I fit in. And so when they have, even in a remote environment or a hybrid model, if they 
know a way that can fit in. So that's typically an element is um, some type of affinity group. Some other examples are, you know, fun activities. Most people think engagement is just only fun activities, but um, designing fun activities that can be done in all environments, whether that's in-person, hybrid, or remote, we do that. We also incorporate community service elements consistent with the value proposition of the company. So let me give you an example. I did a project for a company that has a strong record of hiring veterans in the military. So when we added the community service element to the program, it was heavily focused on how we can engage with the military. Now I have a whole list of examples, but those are kind of some of the value-based things that you add into the engagement program. Just to provide a little bit more context and clarity around this, these types of engagement, you mentioned these affinity groups. And so I'm wondering, as our HR listeners are going back and trying to replicate some of this, should they be thinking that they need to create both a general focused engagement program as well as a cohort program? And if so, how do they figure out which cohorts should deserve or should get a specific program to themselves? So when you say cohort, are you saying like a specific segment of an infinity group? Yes. So you mentioned LGBTQIA, you mentioned veterans, you mentioned people of color. One, how do you determine what are the groups that you should be serving? Because I'm sure that there are groups that will say, oh, well, you did it for this, but you didn't do it for this. And so I feel left out. So how do you even figure out what are the groups to create these programs for so that you feel like, so that everyone really feels inclusive to the organization? That that is a really good question. And that comes up many times when we create the programs. One of the things that we recommend is that the engagement group is actually employee-led. Okay. It is not a While it is, there might be an outcome, and I'm making a number, like management wants to improve retention by 10% over two years. I just made that number up. But the program is led by the employees, okay? So most of the time, I work with HR leaderships to set up the infrastructure, but it is not run by HR, okay? So the employees do a great job of telling you what the culture is and who needs to be involved. That's one way. So people are included. Another way is to start small. So you look at a value within the organization, like I use that military example. Nobody is going to deny in that particular organization that there are a lot of military leaders, and that is a value system. So you start small with a pilot. And you say, hey, we're going to start this affinity group, but we would love to hear with you what other ones are needed in the organization. And you get them involved in the process instead of excluding them from the process. Got it. You mentioned in your example that a leader, CEO, president, owner of the business might say we want to increase retention by 10%. And as an HR data company, we always hear HR leaders asking how should they think about the numbers and the data when it comes to increasing any part of their business? How do you typically help HR leaders think about whether or not they are an average company in engagement or retention, they're below average, above average, and how do you help them set targets for where they need to be 
based off of where they are after you do that initial baseline? Well, there's different data points that you can look at, and it's about what's meaningful for the organization. So in this particular organization, the we used best practice data for the government sector because they had a lot of government clients. And so we looked at the retention rates across federal the federal government. All right. And I presented that to the leadership team and said, okay, this is the retention rate at the federal government. I already gave you the retention rates for our company. Is this a good benchmark or not? So you have to have some conversation around that. Another strategy is to look at your own KPIs in the organization. So if companies um, already have set KPIs such around you know, safety or customer service scores or profitability, then you can use those things to measure. Now, there's not always a direct correlation, but you could research what type of correlation exists on those metrics. Got it. And to shift a little bit more around retention, especially in today's labor market, people are leaving left and right for a thousand different reasons. What are some of the top reasons that you're seeing employees leave that you're trying to help your clients combat and overcome as they're trying to increase their retention rates? I'm seeing a couple that come up, you know, a lot. Um, The most, the ones that I see right now happen to do with people um, wanting to stay in a hybrid or remote situation. So employees are calling people back. And after two, two and a half years, employees have made an adjustment. And so they actually start looking when they hear, you know, employers start calling them back to the office. The other trend that I am seeing, and I'm talking to a lot of different leaders and businesses, is that that stickiness component that I told you about, that in a remote working environment, people are not as sticky because they are not developing those face-to-face and person relationships. And so they feel more comfortable leaving. Interesting. For your clients who are asking employees to come back, especially for roles that could be done from home, but they still believe that they should have employees working in an office, how are you advising them to deal with that? Are you, have you seen that there actually is an increase in engagement when it comes to people coming back to the office? And so you're advising that they do it. Are you advising that they keep it the way it is because that actually is increasing engagement by allowing employees to have what the market is calling radical or employee flexibility. What does this look like? Because I know a lot of HR leaders are confused about this and trying to figure this out. Yeah, to me, it's data point. So when I'm dealing with executives and maybe you have a company culture that they want everybody in, I just present it with the data and I show show them, okay, so this is the amount of people that have left, you know, in your exit interviews or your survey data. And, you know, a top reason was they took a job that's remote. So you, you don't really try to convince them. You just lay the data out and say, okay, this is the trend, you know, are you wanting to make any changes in your philosophy or you're okay if, you know, the attrition rate is 20% this year. So you let them decide. I also want to point out that I do create with companies engagement programs for 
remote workers, and they have been highly successful. There is a thought with some HR folks and with some CEOs that there cannot be effective engagement remotely. But um, because um, I started this business in the pandemic, I created many programs that were effective in a remote environment too. So it's more about giving the management and leadership the data and just making sure that they make decisions consistent with how they want to operate because employees do see through if you're not authentic. Interesting. Mitha, you have dropped a lot of wisdom on us today and we couldn't be more grateful and appreciative of everything you've said. And so because we've covered so much, if there's one thing that you could leave our audience with in regards to making sure that their workforce is more engaging and their increasing retention, what would that one thing be? To ask for feedback from your employees and communicate with them that you heard them. That was short and sweet. I like it. Right to the point. <laughs> Mitha, thank you so much for being such an awesome guest on our podcast. We really appreciate you and all of the experience and wisdom that you just shared. So thank you so much, Mitha. Mitha! It was such a pleasure. You are so dynamic, and I had a great time. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. So, Mitha, where can people find you and Meet the Peak online? Uh, meet the Peak. It's Meet the Peak. Um, you can look me up, you know, just Google that or go on LinkedIn, and there I am. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all your contact info in the show notes. So for all of you out there listening who enjoyed this episode as much as Mitha and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating to show that we provide great content and that you learned something. Awesome. Also, if this is your very first time listening to the Employee Cycle Podcast and you're hungry for more episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.